0: The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, And join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for both the command of Jesus telling us to love and for your enabling grace to do so. On this Mother's Day, we especially think of and give you thanks for all moms. You are sovereign over all, and we recognize the various emotions of blessing and and even loss felt in any gathering as our experiences are different. For some, it's easy to honor their mothers. For others, it may be a struggle. For some, there is joy. And for others, there is pain. But as your people, what we hold in common is our desire to give you thanks and to honor our mothers in a way that is pleasing to you, ultimately recognizing you as the one who lovingly provides who is wise and gracious to us all. Father, we come to this portion of John's Gospel, this new commandment given to us by Jesus, which tells us to love one another for the sake of your glory. So give us eyes to see the love of Jesus and ears to hear his command and faith that hopes in you to provide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Mama, you got this. You are enough. My heart sank, writes Susan Narjula. When I read that last line in an article on a leading website for Christian mothers, my heart sank because it was my article The article was intended to encourage moms in the trenches of raising little ones and overwhelmed by trying to do it all. When I saw the article online, though, I noticed that the last lines had been altered. The original, unedited version read, Mama, you got this because he has got you. You are enough because he who is in you is enough. The published article had left out God. One message women, including Christian women, have heard on repeat is these three words, you are enough. Christian authors and speakers have been incorporating this phrase in sermons meant to encourage women, especially moms who are bogged down by guilt and plagued by self-doubt. The words often seem perfectly acceptable and Perhaps empowering. At worst, it appears trite but harmless. Our text in John, this new command of Jesus to love, is certainly something that we see in the sacrificial roles of moms. Yet, do you hear it as a burden? Do you hear it as just another law, a law that says do, without encouraging you with gospel that says you have hope for doing because of what Christ has done? This new command of Jesus that we love one another, that we love one another as Jesus sacrificially loved his own, is seen in many of you moms, and this glorifies god many sacrifices born of from love and so we want to appreciate you this day of all days mothers day you exist we all exist for the purpose of glorifying god and our obedience to christ's command does not end with simply the people that we love but ultimately it points to god Our loving one another reveals God's love. It puts His love on display. So before Jesus gives this command to love, we read a lot about glory. He speaks of His glorification and how the Father is glorified by the Son and how the Father will glorify the Son. So there's a lot of talk about glory at the first part of our text. And I want you to remember... What it means to glorify God. To glorify God, it means you reveal Him. You reveal Him as praiseworthy. You put God on display with your very life. His wonderful attributes. Your life communicates who He is. I love John Piper's illustration of our lives being like telescopes that magnify God, and that people should get a clearer picture. They might have a a small view of God, but they get a clearer picture. They should get a clearer picture when they look through you, you, this telescope pointing at God, when they look through your life, they get a better idea of who God truly is. Our lives are more than us. We don't got this. We're not enough. We exist as image bearers. And so we reflect. We put on display. We magnify. We make truths about God known to others. And this is where the command to love connects. Our love communicates something about God. And the central expression of His love to us is revealed at the cross. Jesus is glorified by this. And God is glorified because Jesus shows us. He reveals God to us. He is the image, the exact imprint of the Father. And as Jesus gives this command to His disciples, the cross is right around the corner. And he sees it. He sees it as glory. And we might think, what a strange thing in the eyes of men. That something as horrible and humiliating as the cross where Jesus is mocked and reviled and spit upon, where people today might think of Jesus as weak and pathetic, that this would be viewed In the mind of Jesus as glory. How? How is Jesus glorified by the cross? One way is that it's the central, it's really the central event in all of human history. James Boyce writes Nothing that has happened in the world's history from the beginning of creation until now, or will ever happen before that day when all things are wrapped up in Christ is as significant as the crucifixion. There is no greater, no more glorious event in all of human history because only the cross has brought about our salvation. Only the cross of Christ can make us right with God. Only through the cross are we given an eternal inheritance Every spiritual blessing that is ours is because of the cross. We were made to glorify God. This is our highest aim. It's our greatest joy, really, when we actually do what we were made to do. Our greatest sense of satisfaction. And this ultimate central event in all of human history, it enables us to fulfill the reason that we were made. Because of the cross, because He is enough, you are actually empowered to love, which brings glory to God. Think of yourself as an instrument in the hand of God, an instrument that is designed with an intended purpose. And if we live our lives for the wrong purpose, what does that lead to? It leads to a life of frustration instead of joy, and so glorifying God is very much about your joy. When you maybe work on a project and you use a tool for something it wasn't designed to do, you're you're maybe pounding in a nail with the end of a screwdriver. That is frustrating. It wasn't designed for that. But when you use an instrument a tool for the purpose for which it was designed. There's joy. There's there's actually joy in that work. When we function in life as God designed us to function, that is, when we live for His glory and not our own, we will experience joy instead of frustration. We are instruments in God's hand. Designed for the purpose of bringing Him glory. And without the cross, we don't got this. We're not enough. Jesus is glorified. In that there's no greater revelation of love than the cross. His work that saves us and enables us to live with purpose. The purpose that we were created for. So Jesus is glorified in the cross because it alone is the, it, it is the central event of all human history, and it alone is the remedy for the worst sickness of all. By one trespass, all of mankind was cursed and plunged into a life of sin, and by the one act of Jesus at the cross, we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. Jesus said that He, the Son of Man, is glorified. He also says God is glorified in Him. The cross reveals. It puts on display both the glory of Christ, and it says something about the Father as well. The Father is glorified at the cross because it reveals His perfect justice for one, Think of it, if you were Uriah's parents, how would you feel about the justice of God as King David uses your daughter-in-law, takes advantage of her, Bathsheba? How would you feel knowing that David had plotted, devised a plan for his army to, to pull back in battle so that your son Uriah would be killed? Is God's justice in question? As the king who raped your daughter in law and killed your son is pronounced forgiven. Prior to the cross, God seemingly passed over sins. And yet, Paul tells us in Romans 3 that the cross showed, it revealed, it glorified the righteousness of God that He is shown to be just in punishing those sins upon Jesus. Justifying those who have faith in Him. So even those Old Testament saints looking forward to the coming Messiah, the promise of God, had faith in Him and were justly forgiven and it culminates... At the cross. God's justice is glorified in Him. In Jesus' willing sacrifice for those who have faith in Him. Paying the penalty that we deserve. God's justice is glorified. and, And also His faithfulness is also put on display. Is also revealed. Is also shown to be true. At the very beginning... In Genesis 3, God made a promise that He would send one who would crush the head of the serpent. And God is faithful at the cross. God had promised to Abraham an offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. And by the cross, all peoples are adopted by Him. The Passover lamb, the daily sacrifices of the priests, they, they all speak to a promise of atonement that they look forward to and was fulfilled at the cross, glorifying God as faithful. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians 1, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The cross glorifies Jesus. The cross glorifies the Father. And the connection to Jesus giving this new command is that we, those purchased by the cross, are meant to glorify God as well. The cross communicates many attributes of God. In the cross we see His power and His holiness and His sovereignty and His wisdom. We see many, if not all, of God's attributes at the cross. But in Jesus' teaching, we see a priority given to love. There are many attributes that tell us how it is that God could offer His Son to die for our sins. But it's His attribute of love that tells us why He did. Why would God do this? Why would God send His only Son into the world to die for our sins? It's love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, bearing the wrath that we deserve for our sins. Nothing reveals the love of God more clearly than the cross. And so our love, our love for one another, is intended to point others to this. This is why Jesus prioritizes it here. We are instruments in God's hand to show the world who He is. And that He is more than loving, He is love. So when Jesus gives this new command, he tells his disciples that something new is coming. That he, the very embodiment of God's love, is he's leaving. And because he is leaving, he gives a new command concerning love. Think of it, over their time together, how they relied upon Jesus' hands-on ministry, His love to them. But this love experienced over three years with Him was going to be taken away at the cross. Jesus was leaving this world. The love that He personally gave to them. His example that perfectly communicated the love of God. Something the world had never seen before was leaving so this is significant the question is when jesus leaves when when love leaves how will people know god's love how will they know and understand and and even receive experience the love of god without jesus so jesus gives a new command because what's coming is a new situation With Jesus gone, how will they experience the love of God in daily life? How? We ask by, Jesus tells us by loving each other as Jesus has loved them. Jesus calls this, he calls this a new commandment. Have you ever wondered why he calls this new? It doesn't seem new that we love one another. Biblically speaking, is it new for God to tell his people to love one another? Didn't God give Moses the command, through Mo, tell us through Moses, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? How is this new? Hasn't the God of the Old Testament, the God who never changes, hasn't he always been known as faithful in his love and this loving God has already commanded his people to love God and Love their neighbors. In fact, before giving this new command, Jesus himself summarized God's law as saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So why does he say this is new? One way to think of it is to consider the new covenant and its relationship to the Old. Does the New Covenant do away with the Old Testament law, or does it fulfill it? What did Jesus say His purpose was in coming? He said He, he didn't come to destroy or abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So there's an expansion, a, a fulfillment in sense of love. J.C. Ryle points out, it is called a new commandment, not because it had never been given before, but because it was to be more honored to occupy a higher position, to be backed up by a higher example than it ever had been before. So I want to consider a few things about this this new commandment and why it's new. First, there's a new community to love. The command in Leviticus was in the context of the, the covenant community of Israel. And so the command was that they loved their fellow Jewish neighbor. But now, because of the cross, because Jesus did not die only for the Jews, but for the various people of the world, the old command expands. And now the new command to love includes all believers, any class or race or nationality. Christianity is expansive in its love in its love and its acceptance there are no walls of division in christianity and so when the when the world describes christianity as white western religion they don't know what they're talking about they don't understand the cross of christ which removes all barriers It invites all to come to Christ and be a part of His body where we're called to love one another. To not have preference among each other. Christianity is multicultural. Christian Christian love is within a community of believers. And this community, it's not a club. It's not exclusive. It's not based on race or culture or class so it's a new command because the object of our love is new it's no longer limited to this covenant community of israel now it's it's as broad as christ's offer of salvation and as nice as this sounds we must recognize the first century challenge it sounds nice that we should you know it's it's so inclusive and we're to love one another But what was going on at the birth of the church in the first century where all of these Gentile converts come to worship with Israelites who have had a couple thousand years of tradition? This is a new command to love because it takes on a new object, an expanded covenant community with with new and difficult challenges and today our challenge isn't jew and gentile no it's it's age and status and politics it's even hobbies and styles of music and to be honest i you know i've i've talked to different pastors at times or, or i have heard obviously this is nothing new but when i'm told about a church that designs their worship services. We got one for the hymns and the tradition and one for the more contemporary. I think that's an awful idea. I think it's a terrible idea. It makes me a little nauseous, actually, because how does that promote, how does it encourage loving one another, preferring one another? Is God's humble sacrificial love put on display through division and avoidance? Do, do they really think that the watching world stands in awe and amazement and wonder at such love with that? No, that's common. That's how everybody deals with issues. Dividing. Uh, uh, avoiding. Avoiding. That's common behavior in the world. The world naturally gravitates to people with similar likes and similar interests and similar life circumstances and we are called to be one and to love one another. And at some level, of course, we, we do have our areas of, of division and it's not a bad idea to some extent. At some level, it makes sense to create specific areas of ministry. We have... We have um, ministry really mindful of families affected by disability and that's really important we have men's groups we have women's groups we have teen groups we um we have all sorts of ways in which we divide and it can be helpful to hear from those who more directly empathize who really understand who've lived through or right where you're at and so it's important and it's helpful, but it's also important to, to, that we're strengthened when we connect with one another, with different parts of the body. Jesus gives this expanded vision of his church, a body with, with various parts, with differences. And when these differences come together and love one another and function as one, it makes for a stronger body. And it glorifies, ultimately, glorifies God. So in whatever specific ministries that we have, we need to be be careful not to form clubs where we don't grow in true Christian love, where we can worship together and live life together. Christian love should transcend earthly differences. In Christ we are made one and there are no dividing walls. This is a new command because the object of our love is much broader, and secondly, the standard of love is much greater. The standard, the measure of love given to us is the atoning death of Jesus. The example that we are to follow is given to us by Jesus who said, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life, someone lay down his life for his friends. It's it's a sacrificial kind of love now it's not likely that you're going to be called upon to lay down your your literally your your life for a christian for a fellow christian but there are there are many little kinds of deaths that we must die to self our pride our preferences a sense that we're deserving because of our age or ability or investment. For example, respecting your elders is a good thing, but the temptation for people who have put in their time is to demand some respect, which you know is code for demanding my own way. Instead of this, with age, In the faith, it would make sense that elderly people are well-practiced at dying to self. A person that's become more gracious and more humble and more sacrificial and more loving. Or there's the person that's given a lot of money to the church, a wonderful investment in the kingdom of God and eternal things that will last. And this can certainly be a, a loving sacrifice but it can also lead to the temptation of feeling superior. Or maybe you feel in home like you're the the one in the family who does all the work or the one who earns the most money. And maybe this causes you to struggle with a sense of entitlement that your sacrifices have maxed out. But think of it. No one had more rights than Jesus. And he didn't stop with the foot washing. He went on to the cross. He gave his very life. And we're called to love with this same kind of sacrificial love that does not demand our own way. It does not feel superior. It does not feel entitled. It dies to many little areas of life. Many little deaths in order to love like Jesus has loved us. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So there is a new community. There's a new standard. And this new command to love has a new power. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, there is a new source of power as Jesus tells his disciples that it's to their advantage that he go. Because in going, he will send the Holy Spirit to us, to help us, to empower us, to give us the love of Christ making it possible for us to love as Jesus has told us to love. We have hope. And as we grow in our faith, there is an increasing capacity to love because the more more we know God, the more we love one another. The more we love God, the more we love one another. But what if What if we know a lot, and we don't love a lot? Read the book of James, for one. Uh, But Scripture as a whole would tell us if we don't love, we don't really know God. To know God is to love God. To love God is to obey God. And obeying God means we'll do what Jesus commands and we'll love one another. So if you find it very difficult to love, then you either don't know God or you really misunderstand who He is and what He's actually done for you. And there's a maybe a massive disconnect in what you believe. The problem is what you believe and acting in response to that, in consistency with that. For example, growing up back in the old days, I had two older brothers who would aggravate me to no end. Uh, This is taken much later. Um, In fact, Barb Thomas told me about her very first encounter with me when I was just a little boy. She was a teen shopping at my family's Christian bookstore, Evangel, at the downtown location when it was on Main Street. When... The peaceful atmosphere of the store was shattered with some very loud, very angry shouting. Barb tells me she's convinced that this angry outburst came from a little boy who was clearly being aggravated by and wrongly abused by his uh, two older brothers, Mark and Alan. She watched... um, as the owner of the store had to correct his son. And of course, that little boy was me, your pastor. So i take this opportunity now to confess my sins publicly. Now, I'm not sure if, if it was this occasion. I think there were many occasions like this. But at one point in time, my parents challenged me with a verse. The verse says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. (laughs) Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And when I was a little boy, this verse made no sense to me whatsoever. I reasoned, of course I love God. And... I hate my brothers. They're annoying. God is good. My brothers are bad. What does loving them have to do with loving God? I don't get it. I love some people, not others. So why couldn't I love God and hate my brothers? Right knowledge of God and His Word will always lead us to loving others. It didn't make sense to me then, but it it does now. If God is so loving to an annoying, sinful brat like me, if He commands me to love like Jesus, and He fills me with His Spirit so that I'm able, and in doing so, this glorifies Him. Okay, I get that. So if you don't love some brothers or sisters in Christ, then the root problem is either you don't know God or you haven't yet grown to rightly understand Him and the extent of your sin and what you deserve and His loving grace and mercy and forgiveness to you. Your love for other Christians is a new priority. It's a new priority because your love reveals, it puts on display, it glorifies the sacrificial love of Jesus for his own. There is purpose in your love. It's not only nice for those who are on the receiving end, it ultimately, its ultimate purpose is to glorify Christ. It communicates that you are His disciples. It gives people a right knowledge, a right experience of the love of Jesus. And when you receive love, receive it as love from Jesus. So on this Mother's Day, I want to not only honor and appreciate you moms, but I also want to give you Good news. I want to encourage you that what Susan Narjula intended to write, not simply you got this, but you got this because he has got you, you are enough because he who is in you is enough. Susan went on to write this. While articles or sermons telling women that they are enough are intended to vanquish self-doubt, Perhaps they are misguided. You are enough puts the onus back on you. It's a me-centric idea where we're called to scrape out every last bit of our so-called inner strength, but pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps is not how how we tend to our souls. The more liberating and empowering message we need to hear is this, Christ in you is more than enough. It's a message that doesn't hinge on self-reliance, but on God-dependence. It gives us room to to discover that He is an all-sufficient God. Let's pray. Our all-sufficient, glorious God, Help us to see and marvel at the kind of love you have given to us, that we should be called children of God, that you, Father, would send your only Son out of love in order to redeem us and bring us to yourself. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Jesus. We give thanks for you, Holy Spirit, our helper, our counselor, the one who unites us to Christ and fills us with His love. Lord, give us great joy and satisfaction in living lives that reveal who You are, that magnify You. Lord, use us as instruments in Your hand that our lives might be like telescopes that people look through, gaining a right view of who You are, God. Please continue to grow us as a church, making us more like Jesus, uniting us in his love, a witness to a watching world for the sake of your glory. Thank you for our moms. Bless them, we pray. We also give thanks for the Morales family. Bless them with energy and joy. Give them safe travel. Please use them as instruments of love, bringing glory to you. God, we give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.